I guess so much happens in this last third of the 20th century. Uh, nuclear weapons that may eliminate and wipe out the whole human species, the subject of nationalism itself, the uh, civil rights movement that has its ups and downs. and In fact, out of it came so many moments of recognition for all sorts of people, considered not quite in the mainstream, whatever that may be. We know out of the civil rights movement came a feminist movement, came a, a Hispanic movement, and certainly came a gay movement, too, in which many homosexuals, both male and female, stepped out of closets. And celebrating it this week at the Music Box Theater is a, a week of quite remarkable films. I happen to see one. Opening tomorrow night, the Music Box Theater, which is that marvelous little band box on 3733 North Southport. Tomorrow night is Before Stonewall. And this is a documentary, but it's an informal history, I might say, of attitudes toward homosexuality in the United States and we'll reference to Stonewall will be part of the conversation with my two guests, the Reverend Grant Gallup, who's an Episcopalian minister and co-founder of Integrity, which is a, a gay Episcopalians and friends, and who also had been a participant and witness in the civil rights movement in the South and recently returned from Nicaragua as a witness for peace. And with him is Marge Summit, who has a bar, some of you may have attended, 944 West Addison, just across the street from Cubs Park. Uh, as, she, as Marge says, it's the only gay Cubs bar in the city. And of course, <laughs> we've got to hear Marge's uh, recounting of what happens with tough, macho, straight guys when they realize they're in a gay bar. So as we begin, we'll talk about the film, of course. Uh, Reverend Gallup, I've known you for a number of years now, and you've always been active and on behalf of the underdog. And, in every way. So now we come to you, don't we? Well, the, I think you put your finger on it with regard to the gay movement emerging from the civil rights movement. That is, I think, as a uh, politicizing of the gay movement. There were gay people before Stonewall, of course. Uh, we're two of them. And uh, uh, what, what Stonewall did was to appropriate... Perhaps just a word about people. Stonewall. Explain mm -hmm. yeah. the, the Stonewall. Yeah. Stonewall was uh, in June of 1969, wasn't it, mm -hmm. Marge? And it was uh, a, a bar. Uh, Marge can probably tell you more about yes. what happened there since she knows Marge. about bars. It's a bar, a bar in Greenwich Village, right. uh, frequented by gays in New York. That's right. right. And they had just finally had their fill of police harassment and... Uh, as anybody gets their fill, they just decided to riot. And the riots created a lot of publicity. And uh, that just kind of spearheaded across the country. And gays started standing up for their rights and saying, no, we don't want to be picked on anymore. We don't want to be arrested for wearing fly front pants or for wearing looking Nelly walking down the street. They would pick you up for any reason, you know, before Stonewall. And it that's... It was the out formative of the closet event. And came very it's, many. It started making gay movements. It, it yeah. made gay people start getting together and forming. And I think it was a formative event for us in the same way that Rosa Parks' uh, refusal mm. uh, to uh, go to the back of the bus was a formative event for the civil rights movement. And every movement of this kind needs something that can be uh, uh, enhanced by uh, memory and uh, made into a, an important uh, uh, mythic event for them. We did that with, with Stonewall. You know, I think would be good, as we're seated here, both uh, Grant Gallup, Reverend Grant Gallup, 
and Marge Summit, if we're autobiographical about it, so who, who you are, and this, because I think this hits mm -hmm. people listening, mm -hmm. whether they're gay or not, two humans, and their lives, mm -hmm. and now coming out. Who you, well, where are you from? I'm Grant? from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and uh, went to public high school there, and it was in high school, I think in the first year of high school, that I first saw in print the word homosexual. And uh, that year, the uh, Revised Standard Version of the New Testament came out, 1946, actually. And uh, it used the word homosexual in uh, the New Testament to describe those who couldn't enter the kingdom of heaven, along with uh, a whole lot of other uh, rascals. And when did you get that? Th what version of the Bible? This was, was the Revised Standard Version. came out in 1946. 46. And, uh, now, just about when the Cold War was beginning. Yes. Yes. Now, who revised it? Well, the, uh, an international team of scholars. In the King James Version, uh, that gay people have been described as effeminates or sodomites. <coughs> but in the, in the Revised Standard Version, a modern word was used, homosexuals. And uh, it was in trying to track down the original Greek of, of that translation that I began to... Uh, liberate myself, as it were. Uh, the gay liberation, at least for me, began when I discovered that the word, the words in the Greek didn't mean homosexual at all, but meant uh, male prostitutes and uh, uh, a completely different application. You were about how old? Then? I was um, 13, 14. You were 13. Mm -hmm. You were aware you were different. Oh, yes. I think uh, in the seventh or eighth grade, mm -hmm. I became aware that my. Uh, affections were uh, for uh, my classmates who were boys rather than for, for girls. And this is a small town? Small town. And I began to want to read about this. So I was, uh, wanted to find out more about it. And, uh, and of course, the local librarian, uh, Miss Lydia, would not let me have any books on such a subject. So <laughs> my second stage of gay liberation was to write away and uh, and, and get books by mail order. <laughs> in brown wrappers. Uh, in brown wrappers. Yeah. I remember then when we got to college, we kept um, Donald Webster Corey's book, uh, Homosexual in America. Several of us who were gay got a copy of the yeah. book and kept it in a, in a paper cover of The Opera Lover's Companion. <laughs> <laughs> were, you scared? were you scared of being found out? Yeah, we were scared of being found out because we, we, uh, we knew what the... Um, the punishment for being gay was, and it wasn't a matter of just of, uh, of of having any gay activity or gay love affairs or anything kind. It was just a matter of being gay that would be, especially in the fifties in the McCarthy era, when uh, when Joe McCarthy, who himself probably was a closeted homosexual, uh, was uh, cleaning out the State Department and uh, the in, probably in that <laughs> in that before we come back to me, in the film before Stonewall, which is a remarkable. When I, which opens tomorrow night at the Music Box Theater, a week of uh, gay films. There's a sequence from that in which, remember, Joseph Welsh speaks, he's Pixies, what's a pixie? <laughs> and he's, and uh, McCarthy is there, and he says, oh, pixies are fairies. Mm -hmm. And the audience howls, and McCarthy doesn't quite know what to make of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. But back to yeah. your, your uh, yes. story. Well, in college, I had a uh, problem with that book. Uh, I circulated amongst friends. I think I had got it in the, uh, through the mail from Marlboro Books, uh, publishers overstock, and uh, I was fascinated. It was the first book out of this kind. Uh, 
sociological study of gay people in America as a subculture, uh, with their own literature, their own publications, their own organizations. And now you were reading about that. We read about that and became fascinated by it. But uh, the dean of men of the college I was attending, a small denomination. Uh, were, you now, were, were you now thinking of priesthood? Oh, yeah, I was thinking priesthood? of Presbyterian ministry. At yeah, the ministry. And uh, they discovered that I, that I was circulating this book amongst friends, uh, some lesbian and, and gay male friends. And um, uh, the dean of men called me in and, uh, to his office and wanted my resignation from the college, which I refused to give since I had done nothing illegal or immoral, and I simply insisted that uh, uh, I was also editor of the college paper, that I would, um, I would put up a fight rather than leave the college. And as a consequence, I didn't uh, get expelled from college. But that, again, was a, an, uh, a, an exercise in coming out. That is to say, I identified myself as a, as a gay person uh, and refused to accept the... Uh, the opprobrium of society for it. So you always, you came out long before Stonewall. Yeah, I came out, uh, I, and of course I'm increasingly coming out, yeah. I suppose. Uh, being here is a way of coming out. Let's continue with your story, because uh, we also want to hear about your recent trip to mm -hmm. Nicaragua, but also more about integrity and mm -hmm. the gay okay. movement as you see it and participate in it. Right. Marge Summit, you're Chicago. Right, born and raised. North side. Pick it up. Pick it up. Lived on the north side, uh, moved to the south side, went to Chicago Vocational High School. Um, basically, um, I think I kind of knew there was something different as I was growing up because I always wanted to be with the boys. I always played football and played baseball. and Not that I wanted to be a boy because a lot of people listening will misinterpret if they have a girl that's a tomboy. But the reason that I think you you gear towards hanging around with the boys is because you get the kid with them and flirt with the girls like they do, because that's what you really want to do. So um, basically, I, I just got into a lot of athletics um, until I broke my finger playing football. My father was real embarrassed that his daughter did that, so I was kind of curbed, but I came you out. You got embarrassed that I broke a finger that you played football. Yeah, well, kind of embarrassed because it was put in a neighborhood newspaper, you know, that his daughter broke her finger playing football, and it was like, you know, all other girls were playing with dolls and you're playing with footballs <laughs> yeah. and guns in the prairies and, yeah. you know. But uh, I went through the whole stigma of, of dating boys, and it wasn't that I didn't like boys. I just didn't want to go any further with other than being a friend with them. And um, I got brought out in high school, totally brought out by a woman in my freshman year, and that was all I needed. Because I was, you, you grow up in that era. Growing up, you think you're the only one, yeah. especially when you're raised on the South Side in the in the mill area of South Chicago, and there's not that many gay people running around. So you're like, you begin to think there's something wrong with you. Well, then I got brought out, and uh, I found a bar when I was 16, and that was like heaven. There were actually other people like me around. A gay bar. A gay. Well, it was half gay and half straight, mm -hmm. kind of like. <clears throat> it was up around uh, 99th and the mm -hmm. Southwest Highway. And so it was a way of meeting people. Yeah. And then I joined a women's baseball team and met a lot of them there. Um, went to work for the phone company and, and played ball for them and met a lot of gay women. Now, it's so. interesting. You came, you came from a blue-collar family. Yeah. It's a blue-collar family. Right. So what uh, could I ask you, what was your 
father's reaction when you came uh, he later on you came out well my father passed away when I was 16 oh. but he had mentioned to my mother that there was something different about me and that she should keep an eye on me well after he passed away at 16 when he, I was 16 when he passed away and my mother decided to have a talk with me after that and she wanted to know what I was doing with my life so I told her it's like I always tell people that come to me and ask me, if your parents don't ask, don't tell. But if they ask, then tell. Don't lie about it. So I told her, and of course we went through the same thing I think most people in my era went through, see a shrink. You know, mm -hmm. well there's nothing wrong with me. I know where I'm coming from, I know what I feel, I know what I want. So so that's, we'll, we'll pick this up as we go along. It's mm -hmm. funny, <laughs> funny that they said, see a shrink. I remember in the first book, Division Street America, there was a gay actor in town, mm -hmm. and he was Roman Catholic and very devout. And of course, his priest said to him, oh, you gotta find a nice girl. Mm -hmm. You yeah. gotta find a nice girl. Yeah. But they don't want a nice girl. I was told that by yeah. a minister that I went to. Nobody ever I was told me that. Yeah. <laughs> minister okay. here in Chicago told me that. Yeah. Find a nice girl. You know, I was thinking, there's uh, someone I know, you know, uh, Ted Allenby, his name is, he's in The Good War. And Ted Allenby, he speaks of, his story is similar to yours, Grant, mm -hmm. Reverend Gallup, in that small town, at first hiding it, guilt, fear, then joining the Marines. Mm -hmm. He joined the most macho of all the services during World War II, and by the way, was a hero. Mm -hmm. I mean, very definitely was in the middle of all the battles. But mm -hmm. that aspect is mm -hmm. there. Did, you never had that problem, did you? Trying to well, pretend you're macho? I, I was drafted into the Army after college, and uh, the Korean War was still on for a few months, and the draft was still on. Uh, on, the, um, on the list of uh, illnesses, which the doctors give you during the preliminary examination, the last of the, of the illnesses mentioned after smallpox and measles <laughs> and diphtheria, poliomyelitis, was, was homosexual tendencies. Mm -hmm. And I had checked that. <laughs> because I was honest enough with myself yeah, to yeah. see what would come of it. Well, I was pulled out of the line and had a little chat with the, with the shrink. And uh, he uh, insisted that I erase the, uh, the check mark there. He said I wasn't really homosexual. I, he said I was a borderline case since I didn't actually have, have a husband. And I wasn't living. <laughs> I was a borderline case. And... Uh, so I went into the army and spent two years in Puerto Rico in the army, uh, in the army. Were you, were you a chaplain? And no, I was a private soldier. You were a private soldier. And uh, nowadays, of course, I see that what the oppression that was going on there too. I was taking part in the oppression of the Puerto Rican people by being part of the army of occupation, but uh, my political consciousness hadn't been raised by then, and uh, it came eventually. The uh, the whole business of uh, understanding uh, what Dr. King was talking about in the 60s after I was ordained and seeing so many gay people involved in the civil rights movement. I think on one, one occasion, uh, six priests from Chicago went to um, a uh, uh, civil rights activity in the South and uh, five of us, five of the six were, were gay. It was very easy for us to be invested in, in the liberation of other people, but uh, it was still disgraceful to be inv to invest any time or energy or or your own uh, uh, personal career into um, into gay liberation. Yeah, 
It was uh, a so privatized. Uh, there, there was the uh, active civil rights movement, uh, liberation <laughs> of minorities there, <laughs> and uh, the feminist movement, of course, came into being, as did Hispanic and uh, <laughs> Amerindian Native American <laughs> movements, <laughs> too. I think but, the gay liberation... old people's movements, too, senior yes. citizens. But here, the gay thing was always kept in the... Always. The I think the, the biggest and deepest uh, links the gay movement has are with the feminist movement. Yeah. I think that uh, gay people are mistreated in our society for the same reason that women are. And uh, uh, it is precisely because uh, gay men have uh, uh, sexually adopted, uh, according to our society, the role of women, uh, that, um, that they are uh, so despised. Well, let's take a break and I'll continue with Reverend Grant Gallup and Marge Summit and perhaps ask also, is there a different attitude toward lesbians than toward male homosexuals? Mm -hmm. That aspect comes into the picture. And Marge's story and Grant's story continue to go along. This is by way of letting the audience know. I, I saw the film before Stonewall. I think it's a powerful and a revelatory one, too, in, in, in a theological sense as mm -hmm. well as... A, mm -hmm you know, the, the secular sense, too. It's at the, it's the opening film. It's tomorrow night of a gay film festival at the Music Box Theater, 3733 North uh, Southport. And at 7 o'clock uh, tomorrow night, it begins. Uh, 3290854 is the box office number. There's another film called Buddies, I hear, is remarkably good, mm -hmm. too. We'll pick it up after this message. So resuming with Reverend Grant Gallup and Marge Summit and... Uh, the gay movement in Chicago, but coming out ready. Well, Marge, in your case, so you and your mother had the discussion, and the shrink didn't quite, couldn't quite cut the mustard. No, <laughs> no. I, uh, I left home then. I moved out on my own. Um, moved in with a woman, and uh, we were lovers for five years. But in, in through that interim, my brother, who's the only one left right now, is, is my brother and I. But so my mother passed away about a year and a half ago. But he was getting married, and um, my sister-in-law wanted me to stand up for the wedding. Well, my mother couldn't hear of that. So they dropped that part of it, but when it came time to fill out the wedding invitations, my mother politely wrote one out to me and then threw it in the garbage. So I was never even invited to my own brother's wedding. It was like we couldn't, can't let the queer come to the wedding. Yeah, you know? By the way, you, you are in the film, and uh, that you, you do speak of that sequence, and it's a very moving and stunning one too and you know the the unthought about cruelty that is they, right. well they don't think well, yeah. my brother it's funny because my brother was in the other night and celebrated his 28th wedding anniversary him and his wife came up to my bar they came up to the Apollo Theater and they stopped by me and his joke was well you wouldn't remember the wedding anniversary so we came up to celebrate it with you and I said how could I I wasn't invited to the wedding <laughs> yeah your you brother know? is supportive oh yeah very and yeah. so are his four children I mean it's like I don't do anything to ever offend or hurt them, as they wouldn't do to me, but I don't hide anything either, yeah. you know. Yeah. Of course, his kids think I'm neat. I have a yeah. water bed and have a cool apartment. And, yeah. and also, while you've got the bar, I think you have to have it. <laughs> uh, Reverend Gallup, of course, I want to hear more of his story and his uh, find his witnessing, too, in Nicaragua, too, not unconnected with what we're talking about. But Marge Summit, so you have this bar, it's um, uh, up on, on Addison, right near Cubs Park. Now, a lot of ball fans, a lot of macho guys out come into the bar before or after the game. Definitely. So do they know it's a gay bar? Not till they get in. What happens? 
Well, it's kind of fun. We just kind of sit around and watch their reactions. Uh, the older people, I would say, in their late 30s and up are pleased to find a bar that's not rowdy and noisy and, and stuff. But the younger boys, um, it's wonderful to watch their reactions. And they get very nervous, and they get louder, and they seem to get more macho. It's like, <laughs> this is going to save them, you know. And uh, we just kind of sit back and laugh at them. And then I just, I always go up and ask them, you know, what is really bothering you? Because if anybody is safe in their sexuality... No matter where you're at, you shouldn't have a problem, you know. But they always feel that, well, a good man would turn you around. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a little unsure themselves. Yes, <laughs> a little very, unsure. I very. suppose that is true. And the more macho someone is, the more you start questioning. Right, <laughs> yes. right. It's like a cover-up. Hmm. You know, it's like well, in a sense, also, why Ted Allenby, knowing he was gay, joined the Marines to be part of the mainstream, the John Wayne mm -hmm. aspect. Mm -hmm. Probably to, to prove two things, yeah. one to the people and one to himself. Mm. You know, I mean, people always view a, a gay man when, when, in my era growing up in it, they, they were extremely Nelly, which has kind of gotten, we've gotten away from Nelly, all Nelly, was those. that the phrase called? Yeah. Nelly. Yeah, yeah. very Nelly, you know, mm. swishy. And, and, but that was the era we grew up in. You know, we had role models, mothers and fathers. That's all we mm. ever grew up with. The gay movement now is much more liberal. You can be what you want to be, you know. But um, I think that people thought, go beat up a sissy. Well, if you ever noticed it, it's always four or five guys beating up one sissy. It's mm -hmm. never one guy with a sissy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because gay men can fight. They mm -hmm. are men. <laughs> they don't want to. But that's interesting. It's several, not one that's beating right. up a sissy. It's that's several. right. Because it takes that many of them to prove they're macho. Yeah. Well, they're also proving it to each other. Right. It wouldn't make much sense. But they would never start them. a one-on-one. -on -one. when the skating star, Dick Button, got beaten up of a half a dozen punks mm -hmm. who did it, you know. Uh, so we're talking about macho and that. If it, so coming back, Reverend Gallup, uh, the group uh, with your co-founders called Integrity. Mm -hmm. Integrity was founded, it's a, a latecomer to the, to the uh, religious gay movement. It was founded five or six years after Troy Perry started his separate denomination for gay people, the Universal Fellowship of Metropolitan Community Churches. And it was founded after Dignity, the Roman Dignity Catholic. Dignity is, a, is That's the Roman, Roman Catholic, Catholic caucus, gay know. movement. Yeah, Integrity was founded uh, 10 years ago and uh, uh, has grown now to uh, 20 or 30 chapters. Uh, the new presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, Edmund Browning, who was the Bishop of Hawaii, was elected last week in uh, Anaheim to be the presiding bishop for the next 12 years, is a member of Integrity. Integrity is composed of gay Episcopalians and our friends, and Bishop Browning is one of our friends. Uh, you don't have to be a gay or lesbian to belong, uh, but it's nice if you are. Well, I made the cover of Gay Life. There you are. <laughs> I spoke at the Mattachine Society. Yeah. I was proud to be there, by the way. It was honoring a very great woman, Pearl Hart. Oh, yes. the of the underdog, one of the founders of Daughters of Belitis, if I mm -hmm. remember right. It was a very moving experience. Very tough lawyer, too. Yes, I yeah, remember she, seeing her in court years yes. ago. Yeah, always defending yes. people up against it. Yes. Always. So coming, coming back to, well, that's the connection, isn't there? Mm -hmm. As you, you were part of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Back to integrity. Oh, uh, 
is there, wasn't there a recent vote? The Episcopal, ch- I was going to ask you about the established mm-hmm. Episcopal Church's attitude toward the ordination you know, of gay clergy. Well, the issue emerges in various ways, uh, obliquely and directly. Uh, the fact that Edmund Browning was elected with his open stance with regard to gay people uh, shows there's some approval, at least of, uh, on that level, without articulating it. And then the fact that uh, in the revision of the church calendar, Aylred of Ravaux was proposed for canonization as a saint in the calendar. Well, he's a 12th century monk who was gay and uh, wrote a book on spiritual friendship and suggested that monks uh, buddy up for a deeper spiritual life. And uh, he was proposed for inclusion in our calendar. Well, what happened is that a liberal bishop, Bishop Spong, got up and said, I hope you all realize that Aylred of Ravaux was a homosexual. Well, of course, the <laughs> convention immediately moved to table the whole matter. <laughs> so that's another way of approaching it, to, to, to hide it. You know, you said buddy, the word buddy. I thought of something in the film before Stonewall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that my, there was Henry Hay. Mm-hmm. did one of the most remarkable things in the history of American politics during the McCarthy days. He was called before the House Un-American Activities Committee, not simply as a gay, as a leftist, you see. Oh, yeah. And he just demolished that committee. And, when the, and I wish he'd recounted that in the film. It's in the history of the gay movement mm-hmm. by Katz, I believe. Yes, Jonathan Katz. And he tells uh, this, all these 105% American congressmen from deep south there, <laughs> he just demolishes. Now, you and your buddies, when you get together, and they just fell apart completely. They had to leave the stand at once. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the macho kid in your yeah, bar. Yeah. And he just demolished them. So I was yeah. hoping he'd recount that story. But so that the, the uh, Episcopal Church then had a recent gathering mm-hmm. in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Anaheim. And what was the result? Well, the, as I say, the, the uh, various ways of approaching the problem and directly and obliquely. When they had to deal with it directly, that is, whether sexual orientation would be a bar to uh, ordination, uh, well, the vote there was close, and they voted that uh, sexual orientation would not be added to a list of those conditions which, uh, mm. for which you could not be debarred from ministry. Well, it leaves us uh, in the uh, same place we were before, uh, that is, gay people continue to be ordained uh, so long, and the, church, the churches generally know that. They know that gay people are the ministry, that they're bishops, that there have been gay popes. Uh, but uh, uh, what you're required to do is what you're required to do is to lie about yeah. it and to pretend that uh, that you're uh, not gay. But advances are being made. Right? Advances are being yeah. made in some. Now, is there? Now, I know there's the RC, that's uh, dignity. Yes. And that has. Is, is there a Jewish uh, gay? Yes, Kurt there is. Do? There's uh, here in Chicago. There's Orkadash, New Light Synagogue, one of the leading gay religious groups. It's been. Uh, very instrumental in the uh, founding and the funding of the Howard Brown Clinic. Uh, people are uh, very supportive of it. They they uh, used to lead the um, gay blood drive mm-hmm. until uh, uh, the authorities decided they didn't want any more yeah. blood from gay people. Yeah, I suppose the AIDS, uh, whatever, whatever we call it, not hysteria, whatever the phrase, the AIDS, AIDS fear, has that had an effect on? The gay movement. Marge and I were talking about this on the way down here. What is it you said, Marge? Well, I feel that it's going to work one of two ways. It's either going to push us into the mainstream, 
because a lot of times when, when disaster happens, people get together closer, or it's going to shove us right back in the closet because I feel the right-wingers have got more fuel for their fire now to say, you know, it's a gay-related disease and, and get rid of gays and we'll, the disease will go away. But it's the same old story. We didn't start it. The game of blaming the victim. Yeah. Whether gay people will be seen as victims of, of the AIDS plague or as the uh, cause of the AIDS plague is uh, really crucial because it will determine whether, whether it will help or hinder the gay movement. Blaming the victim. Blaming That's the victim. an old, old story, isn't it? Yeah. Let's take a break once more and uh, talking to Reverend Grant Gallup and March Summit and talking about the matter of, I'm about to say gaiety. Isn't that funny, the word gaiety? Gayness, I suppose. As a, how the word gay can be? Perhaps we could talk about that after this message. So resuming the conversation with Reverend Grant Gallup, Episcopalian minister in Chicago and co-founder of Integrity, which is a, a gay Episcopalian movement that it, as, goes along with the Roman Catholic gay movement called Dignity and a Jewish gay movement also. Do you work together, by the way? Do you do you three groups of different religious well, denominations? Yeah, here in Chicago there is yeah. an interfaith council uh, of gay or religious organizations, and there is now nationally too. Uh, and uh, increasingly there is cooperation uh, on an uh, interfaith yeah. level. I know the word gay. That goes way back. and uh, there, are, there are a lot of child ballads, old Elizabethan ballads, between lady gay. That has nothing to do with homosexuality. It has to do with a, a woman who is different in the community, had more life, lady gay. Mm -hmm. The word gay had that feeling, more uh, a life. Mm -hmm in an unorthodox way, so it may have been connected, than, than her neighbors. Do you, you, know, you know, Reverend, how, how the word gay is connected well, with homosexuality? Well, I think it's, isn't it, uh, Marge, from a French word that was used originally uh, for uh, people in the fast lane, fast life The people. Bohemians. The Bohemian life, them, yes, yeah. and came to be applied to uh, gay people, but uh, by themselves. Uh, it seems to me that the important thing is that it's a name that the gay movement has chosen and that lesbian is a, is a, a word that uh, homosexual women have chosen uh, instead of some clinical definition. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The word homosexual is not a very nice word. It's a clinical word. Which right, lesbian, homosexual, queer, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny, the words, of course, the words that come into being, queer, fairies, fruits, the yes, words that come yes, into being. all those words. By the way, when I was, when I was a civil service employee getting uh, 1260 a year in Washington, D.C., back in 1936, many of my companions were gay. And I schooled the bars with them, and, and uh, there was a woman bouncer there too. They called me Jam. What does that mean? Oh, I mean, he's a straight heard that guy. For a long time. A straight yeah. guy. Was that an old time word? That's, yeah. Yes. That's a straight guy who's a friend. Uh, right. I take it. I don't think that's current, is it? No. Is it? no that's no, never they, used anymore. I don't is think they nailed it. I can never figure know. it out. It's, oh, he's Jam. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So and that was a compliment. Yeah, I it was. It was. Yeah. It was a. Yeah. We haven't used those words in years. Yeah, isn't that no. funny? Yeah. I remember that. Well, there weren't that many people that were like that, though. Mm. Uh, I've always, in my life, seemed to have found that if you got straight people first to know you and then find out you were gay, it was much easier for them to accept you and like you. Whereas if they found out you were gay first, they didn't even give you a chance. Mm. So, uh, yeah, working with the phone company with a lot of women... I, I met a lot of jam ladies, <laughs> yeah, you know, they, people that knew I were gay and that would come into my bars 
and uh, if any of my friends would come up to them, I would just simply say, no, they're, you know, they're cool, they're straight, but they accept. Yeah. So just, you know, yeah. treat them accordingly. Yeah. And they were talking about outsider, how they're treated by those we call mainstream. I don't know who decides what mainstream is to begin with, you know. <laughs> so we, let's continue with lives here. Right. You have, you're about to read them in the book, uh, well, Grant. Well, I brought along... Uh, a diary that I kept recently while I was in uh, Nicaragua. Uh, I went with Witness for Peace uh, just a month ago, uh, just about a month ago, to uh, Mexico City for some nonviolence training and some meeting with some Guatemalan refugees, and then to El Salvador for a day and to Guatemala and for a week in Nicaragua. Uh, along on the trip was a, a retired professor from uh, Louisville Presbyterian Seminary, George Edwards, has just written a book on the theology of gay liberation. And he and I became roommates and buddies. He's not gay. Uh, but George, everywhere we went, he would uh, somehow manage to ask, uh, what is the attitude towards uh, homosexuals and lesbians in this uh, place or in this culture or in this political situation? And uh, finally, on our last day, when we were in uh, Nicaragua, in Managua, we had uh, a meeting with Tomas Borges, the uh, Minister of the Interior. And uh, I decided that probably since I was the only openly gay person in the group, that it was time I asked the question. So I asked Tomas Borges, uh, what was uh, the attitude of the revolution as opposed to the attitude of the culture uh, towards uh, homosexuality? And he's, his response was, we've never talked about it. My personal opinion is that I hope one day there will be a comprehension of homosexuality. It is in Nicaragua there are very strong prejudices. The, um, in the Ministry of the Interior we do not accept homosexuals or lesbians because of the prejudices uh, that people have towards them. They would be vulnerable. If a person were to get a picture of a member of the government in a homosexual act, they could be uh, uh, blackmailed. But for my own part, the ideal thing would be uh, a comprehensive attitude and acceptance. Uh, here in Nicaragua, we have never talked about this problem in the National Directorate. Yeah. Uh, well, well, interesting you raise that because we know, at least seems to be, unless it's changed, that in Cuba there's a rougher attitude in mm -hmm. Castro's Cuba toward mm -hmm. gay people. Mm -hmm. They have been, they've been treated rather roughly, from what I understand. Unless there's been a change, I don't know. Well, I. Th uh, when the uh, great wave of uh, refugees came, the last one, uh, there were an awful lot of, of gay refugees at, uh, at uh, Camp McCoy in Wisconsin, uh, and a number of us went up to see them. Uh, and they, they did have a rough time. Many of these people were what we would call here street people. Mm. Uh, apparently were uh, simply lumped into prisons in, in Cuba. So as a witness for peace in Nicaragua, what did you, since you, Nicaragua is a subject right now? You know, uh, I think it is uh, emblematic of uh, the way this country has become an oppressor nation, both internally and externally. Uh, what I saw in Nicaragua and in Guatemala uh, and in El Salvador is that uh, the United States is at war with, uh, with the people of Central America, not only uh, through funding the Contras, but through funding the uh, uh, Guatemalan military, 
through funding the uh, Salvadoran uh, military. We are really at war with the, with the people of those countries, and, uh, and it'll, it'll eventually come home to roost here. I think the uh, oppression of gay people in this country, the oppression of women, oppression of blacks and uh, other minorities, is all part of, uh, of, our, of a system of oppression which is uh, external and uh, internal, and that gay people need to be involved, not as one-issue people, but uh, across the board, invested in the liberation of all people. Yeah, this is so... You know, question at Marge, I was thinking, we speak of male homosexuals and of lesbians. Has there been a different attitude through the years in your growing up, and is there one now? In uh, the established, the official attitude, I mean, toward, is it different toward lesbians than toward men? I don't think so. I, I haven't seen that myself. Growing up, I've seen just totally against anybody gay, male or female. You know, um, if you go back in when, when I was young and growing up in the, in the gay lifestyle, like I said, there were the, the, the men who, were the real Nellie queen and uh, a lot of drags. And then you had the, uh, the gay women who were either super effeminate or super masculine looking. And that basically um, was a twofold thing. One, we were emulating what we grew up in, a heterosexual society. And two, it was a survival technique because uh, two women at that time going out to dinner in a bar uh, would be totally harassed unless one looked more like a man and could mm. pass as a man. Mm. Was And plus, you wouldn't have young boys pulling up next to you and realizing that you were a queer in a car and deciding to curb you and see how strong you were. You know, So that was kind of like a self-defense mechanism, too. How did you find it, uh, Grant, Reverend Gallup? Well, uh... I'm not. I'm not so sure how to respond to that. Um, well, you were the you were at the other end of the circle. So yeah, I was at the yeah, women's end. Yeah. But I basically ran with more gay men at that time. Mm -hmm. You know. You were always open, Marge, weren't you? You. you well, <laughs> I wasn't actually open. I worked for the phone company for thirteen years, but I never ever really, really hid what I was. I mean, I'm sure the whole company knew that I was gay. Um, there were quite a few gay women in, in the phone company. Um, and as I went from job to job, um, I realized uh, I worked for Shell Oil after that, and they went to Texas. And then when I went from job to job, I found that I had to go back in the closet again. And uh, working for companies like Goblatz and stuff that are so mm -hmm. narrow-minded, and it got to be a game again of playing, making up boys' names, and, and I just said, this is not for me. I'm going to go into the business and, and work with people that I enjoy being with. I'm tired of hiding. I, I lived uh, over four years in the closet adopting my daughter. Uh, <laughs> Are they challenging your adopting a child? Well, I took in foster teenage girls. I became a foster parent. Um, I had foster teenage girls, and one of my teenage girls had a baby, a little half-black, half-Russian baby. And uh, the mother of the child is still my foster child. She's 32 now. Um, and the daughter, her daughter that I adopted is 12. But I went through four years of being put through the ringer by a caseworker from the city who did obscure things. I mean, I got to a point where I recorded her tapes 
conversations on the phone and played them back to my lawyer because he would not believe what she was putting me through. But I would not definitely say I was gay. That was not an issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, the theory that if you give gay people children, they're going to raise them gay. Uh, my mother wasn't gay. How did I get this way? How did all gay people come from heterosexual families? So why would a gay person raise a child gay? That's such a, that's I'll a farce. I'll never forget to say that when I spoke at the Managing Society several yeah. years ago where Grant Gallup was. And I remember there were several gay uh, Episcopalian guys yeah. and others non-Episcopalian. And they had their, their sons with them and their, yes. and their daughter. They were great kids, mm -hmm. as well as his mother and father, yes. one guy. Came from Ohio, I remember. Yes. And the boy was a marvelous little kid, you know. And it was the most natural thing in the world. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're human beings. Yeah. You know, you raise it. I raised my child to grow up to be a person. She's half black, she's half white. She's got to go to either world if she wants to. But I told her, whatever you do, just grow up to be a nice young lady. That's yeah. all that counts. Yeah. A nice young person. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Reverend Gallup, when in your case you were, you had to be in the closet for a while. Oh yes. And when did you when did you step out? Well, as as I indicated earlier, I think coming out of the closet is a lifelong process. Uh, you're you, forever coming. You're out. forever coming out because every day you have the opportunity to go back in. Uh, in our society, which uh, insists that people stay in the closet, especially in the church. Every day it's assumed that if you are gay, you will stay in the closet. So every day you have an opportunity to step out of the closet. And each uh, stepping out, each uh, coming out is strengthening you for the next, for the next time. But uh, many people have been out. As we know, uh, uh, people who might have participated today in the past were pretty clearly out, but who because of, uh, of the... Uh, yeah. The way our society is set up, you're, you can yeah, lose, lose your my job. My friend, uh, the Marine hero, Ted Allenby, and he went for an organization, let's say it's quasi-civic, and if it came out that he were gay, mm -hmm. he'd have a difficult time with, of all people, black fundamentalists, mm -hmm. which is a rather ironic it touch. It is ironic. Fundamentalist, but in this instance, black fundamentalist, mm -hmm. as well as, well, the Falwellians, of course, that goes without saying. Well, the, I think the leader now, of the moral majority here in Chicago is... Now, who is given... Now, I know, since... Let's, let's be theological for a moment. I was giving them the right to interpret Scripture the way they do, and to say, that's it, mm -hmm. and anyone disagrees is mm -hmm. non-Christian or, or <laughs> pagan. Uh, how's that come about? Has that always <laughs> been the case? Well, the, the need to be infallible, whether from a, from a throne or from a book... Uh, seems to be a permanent affliction of, of human beings. Uh, the, my own view is that uh, the Bible, like the Pope, is infallible except when it's wrong, and frequently wrong. And uh, the instances of, uh, of its uh, speaking about homosexuality have nothing whatever to do with, with the way we experience uh, same-sex affection in our own time. But uh, there will always be those who will use the book the Bible, as a means of enslaving others. And uh, there will always be those of us who insist that the Bible is a, is a handbook for liberation. Women don't go to the Bible to be told, shut up in church, cover your heads, stand behind your husbands. They go to church to read the Magnificat, my soul magnifies the Lord. Uh, he's put down the mighty from their seats. 
blacks don't go to the Bible to read and get to the back of the bus, but to hear, let my people go. And everybody, any liberation movement, needs to use the scripture uh, as a means of liberation. It's not, it, that's what it's for. It's an exodus. It's a way out of, uh, of the closet. And uh, it's a different theology which says that the Bible must be used uh, as a six-shooter. Funny. I thought as you were talking eloquently, Reverend Gallup, your interpretation of Bible has seen by different people. Uh, there was a guy named Claude Williams, Reverend Claude Williams. He worked the South during the Depression, organizing tobacco workers. Yeah. He used the Bible as a working man's book. Mm -hmm. He used the Bible to organize yes. trade unions, <laughs> labor unions among migrant workers and all. Yes. His name was Claude Williams. And there was another guy, his opponent was Gerald L. K. Smith. Oh, yes. The famous American, American anti-Semite and fascist. Yes. By the way, that's not a, a pejorative phrase as far as he's concerned. He had, he says he would. Embrace but, those phrases. But yeah. they would battle each other. On oh, these two, there were, there were epic battles in whatever towns they appeared. Claude Williams and Gerald L. K. Smith, both interpreting the Bible exactly, yeah. in exactly the opposite ways. I think that's true in anything, though. The Bible, the law. Yeah. People interpret the law. Police yeah. officers interpret the law different for straights than gays. Did you have to, in the early days, did you have a difficult time with in the in the bar scenes? Yes, yeah. yes. There were um, there were times when and being in the bar in Chicago was a detriment, and and you escaped to Calumet City, which at that time couldn't very well enforce laws against gays when they were just letting the strip one wild. Mm. So that was our wow. there was an exodus on the uh, there was there was no Dan Ryan at that time, but on the outer drive there was an exodus of gays going to the Calumet City. Mm -hmm when um, the daily regime was in and bars were being raided. You weren't raided. What they would do is they'd sit out in front of a bar and line up 20 paddy wagons and wait with flashlights. And if you came out with a shirt buttoned the wrong way, fly front pants, anything that resembled a man, <laughs> you were put in there wow. for impersonation. And you were just dumped with... Put in for impersonation? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this individual was perpetrating... I'm, I'm, I'm being cop now talking. This. Yeah. This gentleman, or this lady, there was former language, was perpetrating a crime by impersonation. Right. <laughs> you know, let's take one more break and then perhaps uh, a last lap of thoughts that occurred to you that we haven't talked about. Talking to Reverend Grant Gallup, Episcopalian minister and co-founder of Integrity, a gay Episcopalian group, and Marge Summit, who runs the bar, Cubs Bar, the only gay Cubs bar in the city. You haven't done too well with the ball club, have you? <laughs> the third, it's, and uh, it's in, in conjunction with the, uh, a week showing of gay films starting tomorrow night at the Music Box Theater, which is, by the way, a very beautiful old house in the old tradition of movie houses at 3733 North Southport, and it begins at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. The film is before Stonewall. It's a remarkable movie in that it shows early, early film clips, too, and early movies approach to it. And, and then actual events, and political and otherwise. Mm -hmm. And then there's a film called Buddies. That's supposed to be a, an excellent one. So we'll, after this message, we'll have the last uh, roundup. And so once more with Reverend Gallup, Grant Gallup, and Marge Summit. Anything, Marge, we haven't talked about that you feel like saying <laughs> before the hour is up? We don't have enough time for that. Yeah. No, I just, I really hope that, uh, 
uh, I wished a lot of straight people could go see this movie. I think before Stonewall would enlighten a lot of them. Um, I think that uh, not the majority, but a small minority of straight people don't view gays as human beings. Do you feel, you, you still see that, you do feel advances have been made. Oh, sure, sure, but um, that's only because the gays keep fighting. Uh, and, and if this AIDS thing does push us back in the closet, that's going to put a burden on the younger gays who are going to have to get out and do the fighting. Now the older gays are getting tired of fighting. You think there is that danger? Uh, she's talking about the cost of the aid aspect of things. Uh, I think that's Grant. certainly. I think that's certainly a real danger. The danger that there will be a backlash against gay people. They will be blamed for for AIDS, especially if 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 there is not any medical progress soon. I think gay people will in, in <coughs> be blamed for the for the plague in the same way that Jews were blamed for the plague in the Middle Ages, and poisoning the wells and all those uh, lies and uh, calumnies against uh, Jewish people. Uh, it's easy to blame the victim and easy to pick a scapegoat. And gay people are an easy scapegoat in our society now, especially. And in the church, uh, it's an easy scapegoat. Uh, gay men and lesbians, uh, uh, are vulnerable. The, um, in the church, I think, in the Episcopal Church and most of the non-Roman Catholic churches, there's a, there's a uh, glut of, um, of people in the ministry. We, our seminaries are graduating so many people uh, that uh, someone has said by the year uh, 2000, uh, every Episcopalian will be ordained. Mm. Uh, the priest, if, they, if we keep going. Well, the fact is there aren't jobs uh, for everybody, and the first people, of course, to be filtered out are uh, uh, gay men and lesbians. What, uh, anything you have to say, Grant, Reverend Gallup, that we haven't talked about any base, I always say any base we haven't touched? Well, I, th I think the uh, remarkable aspect of uh, of uh, that, I, that I'd like to note is, is the fact that we're here, uh, Marge and I, talking about our experience after all these years, uh, and that this, too, is an opportunity for us to uh, come out, and I hope it'll inspire people who hear this, uh, men and women, to, uh, to be brave about uh, their own experience as gay people. Reverend Grant Gallup and Marge Summit, thank you very much. And just to remind the audience about tomorrow night's week-long, about a week-long festival at the Music Box Theater. It's at 3733 North Southport, and the film we're talking about primarily is the documentary before Stonewall, in which both my guests appear, by the way, and others, too. And it's, by the way, some very funny moments, too, you can point mm -hmm. that out. As well as uh, very well done. I haven't seen the film yet. Oh, you haven't seen it? No. I saw it the other day. Uh -huh. Do you know, I, I'd like to iterate one little thing, maybe the audience that's listening. Uh, these children that are being barred from schools for AIDS because the, the uh, supposedly straight community out there is so backward about understanding AIDS, uh, they're so afraid that it is contagious. But I don't think anybody stopped to realize that if it were that contagious, then the doctors that are treating all these victims would have it. And there would be gay women that have it. There are no gay women that have That's it. That's interesting. Oh, no gay women have it. So if it is that contagious, mm. and I am in the bars and I am involved with gay men constantly, 
then how come there are no gay women that have it? It is not contagious that way. Question. Okay, and thank you both very much. And I think perhaps we have time to we'll close with a song. As a great Stevie Goodman, a oh magnificent young songwriter. It's called Men Who Love Women Who Love Men. Oh, yes. Who Love Women Who Love Men. Yes, I remember And that. it's a beautiful song. It's full of delight and joy and what it's all about, really. Wonderful. Thank you very much, both Thank of you. Thank you.